So I went back to the retreat house where I'm staying, fell asleep, and dreamt about figs. <laughs> I remembered I have a jar. You know, you get those Christmas baskets that have all sorts of different things in it, and you throw them in the back of the refrigerator until next Christmas, and you throw most of it out. I have a jar of fig preserve that I'll open when I get home on Wednesday. Got the taste for it, definitely. Wonderful gospel today. A lot happens in the reading we just heard. And lots of people heard Jesus' voice. How many of them heard Jesus? That's the question. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Thank you for coming. It's so good to be with you. You know, like I said at some of the masses, I am a city boy. I'm born and raised on the north side of Chicago, a city of neighborhoods. And there really were places where people would just sit and talk. The stamp, the stool, on the front of the, the, the steps of the house. And I would listen to my parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles talk, sometimes in the Italian dialect, which I didn't understand, uh, often in English. And, you know, they didn't just talk with their voices, they talked with their hands and their gestures. And sometimes neighbors would think they were ready to fight and they were discussing something that they, nobody was really upset about. It was just they got interested in what they were saying. Uh, I've been blessed to be a priest now for 45 years, a long time, and 29 of those years I was a pastor, 18 at St. Josephat Parish by DePaul University, 11 at St. Gertrude Parish by Loyola University, and before that, 13 years teaching and administrating at Quigley Seminary South. And that's been the story of my life. I've been able to teach in the permanent deacon program, the lay ministry program over the years, <clears throat> wrote some books, and those books led me to give talks all over the United States. Missions like this, talks to teachers, retreats for priests and deacons. Uh, it's been a real privilege and a real grace. And as I talk to people about the needs in their spiritual life, people talk about the busyness in their lives and how hard it is to hear God's voice. And so that's our ta topic today, hearing how God calls us all in the context of why we gather around the table of the Lord, why we are called ultimately to live the Mass. I was called to give a retreat close to 30 years ago, Northwest Side Parish in the city of Chicago, good-sized parish. And uh, at the end of the first night, a gentleman came up to me and he was really upset. So I'm standing next to the pastor, and he said, I knew it, I knew it, you have made me so angry, I shouldn't have come. And I'm thinking, what did I say? What did I do? And he said, I knew it. I said, well, tell me what's wrong. I knew you were going to start off with a Protestant hymn, and we started with Amazing Grace. <laughs> and that's when I smiled and said, talk to the pastor over here. I didn't pick the hymn. He came with a closed mind. He left with a closed mind. My invitation to you tonight is just stay open to the Holy Spirit, not to me. The Holy Spirit will be the one that leads you somewhere tonight, in the next two days, if you choose to come back. Today, tonight, we'll talk about what it means 
to hear God's call? Tomorrow, how do we understand what that call means to us? And final night on Tuesday, most importantly, specifically, this parish community, how do we respond to God's call as a community of faith? If you like what you hear, bring friends, and you'll hear stories, because that's how I do it, just the way I am. So let's begin talking about how we hear God's call. I want to make a few points. They may or may not follow any kind of sequence, but they're going to lead to something, so just stay with me if you can. Um, we hear God's call, obviously, at Mass. It comes to us in so many ways in the Eucharist, certainly in the Word of God and Scripture, hopefully in the homilies that are preached, in the beautiful prayers, the, the, the antiphons that are sung, the common parts of the Mass that are sung, the beautiful hymns that are there, Jesus' own words in the Lord's Prayer, our petitions, asking for forgiveness, sharing the sign of peace, and of course, of course, the Eucharist, which is so central to our faith. But the question is, how do we take what happens when we're here and somehow have, have it make a sense, help us make sense with what happens the rest of the week in our lives? So the first thing I'm going to suggest we do, to hear God's call, this is very obvious, just turn down the volume around us. Our lives are much too loud. When I retired, I moved out of a rectory into an apartment. And for the first month, I kept my alarm and my alarm clock set at 5.15 in the morning, because that's how I used to start my day. It took me a month to realize I don't have to do that anymore. And it took me a month to realize you can set it when you need it. But my alarm clock was so old, it wasn't working like, it was so old, you remember the time where the numbers would click over, they weren't digital? And there was something very reassuring about me when I'd wake up during the night and hear, click, another minute has passed. Double click, 10 minutes have passed. Triple click, an hour has passed. I hated to get rid of it, but what happened was the volume, sometimes the, the volume would, would not be anything at all and I wouldn't hear it. Uh, WBBM news radio wouldn't come on. So I'd turn up the volume and the next day it would scream at me and I'd be peeling off the ceiling. So I said, you know, idiot, it doesn't take that much to buy a new alarm clock. I had to do that. One where you could set the volume the way you wanted it and not wonder if you were going to be blasted out of bed or not. First thing we got to do is to modulate all the noise around us. So the first question we need to ask, is there any quiet time in our lives? I mean, genuine quiet time. You know, I used to ask the question, how many television screens in our, are in our house right now? And usually it was more than there were people in the house. But now the number is almost infinite between computer screens, phones, People have drawers of phones they don't use anymore and, and, and TVs and everything like that. In the past, there was one screen. It was big and it was heavy. It was the television set. When my bro first brother to get married got married, my dad gave him a big old piece of furniture, a DeForest TV this wide with speakers on either side. And my brother and his wife were moving to this little apartment on the north side of the city in a courtyard 
and they went up, they had to get my other brothers who could help them carry it up to the third floor, the back staircase. So they gave me the keys to go around the front way and open it up. And I unlocked the house and I opened it up and I went out on the third floor landing and there they were all the way up to almost the third floor across the courtyard. They went up the wrong flight of stairs. So they had to bring it down and bring it up. There's just too many contraptions that we have that steal sounds, make us impossible to hear what's going inside of us. And it's not just the ears. We need to soften the sounds with our eyes, everything that we see. I was just hearing on the news the other day, the rise in accidents pedestrians, literally walking into pillars and posts, texting or looking at something on the screen that they have there. And you know, we think and look at the things that we consider now to be advances in technology. What were they 10, 20, 30 years ago? When's the last time you've seen, much less used the word boombox? They don't exist anymore. Most people don't listen to a radio unless it is in the morning with an alarm and not that many. iPods, the cell phones that are, that are so complex that we have now. All these things, the workplace, the home, the car, even walking can be filled with noises and distractions. And occasionally, cell phone will go off in church as well. That just happens. We need quiet time. And we don't realize it, we not just need it, we crave it. It's a necessity in our lives. Any way we can get it, not just in church. We gotta find the time to take a walk without something in our ears, to go fishing. My brother Tony loved to go fishing. We lived only a block and a half from Lake Michigan on Briar next to Belmont Avenue in Chicago. And the only regulation my mom had for us was cross at Belmont where there was a light because Sheridan Road was pretty busy. And we would do that. And my brother and I would get up at about six in the morning and my mom would fix us breakfast. She'd pack us lunch. We had our minnows from Van's live bait. And uh, we had our, our bamboo three-piece fishing pole. And my brother had a uh, trolley line, which are now illegal, or you could put sets of hooks and throw them into the water. And we'd go down to uh, Belmont Harbor and off, off a little bit to the rocks by Briar Place there. And we would sit. And I would get bored. And my brother Tony would just stare out at the water. By 9 o'clock, I've eaten my lunch. By 10 o'clock, I'm back home. My brother Tony would return about 5 or 6 in the evening, face sunburn and windburn, stringer of perch, a few rock bass, and my mom would fix those for dinner for him. But I began to realize he didn't like the fishing as much as he liked just sitting there, staring out over the lake, quietly. But if you say, what are you doing today? I'm going to go stare at the lake. People will think you're a little off. You say, I'm going down to the lake to the fish. Oh, you've got a great hobby. You're a well-rounded person. And that's what he's been known to do. He still does it today. Quiet time. Get in the car, we turn on the radio. Or the radio turns itself on through the, and we get a phone call on it. it it's incredible. And now we've got TV screens that 
tell me that I'm getting too close to the car behind me and things like that. All this stuff, all this stuff. A very famous philosopher by the name of Satchel Paige once said, sometimes I sits and think and sometimes I just sits. There's nothing wrong with just sitting quiet. If we're going to try to under hear what God is saying to us, we gotta be quiet. Now, I also know it's a luxury, the time to be quiet. Lives are busy for many of us in this church. If you have children, they're really busy. You can't tell the children, I'll get you later, I need to be quiet now. It doesn't work that way. Some of you women can't say that to your husbands. That won't work that way either. So we have to do something called time shifting. And that is to take those moments that are given to us unexpectedly and say, this is going to be my quiet time. What do I mean? You're in line in the grocery store. If you're like me, you're inevitably in the line behind the person that has 450 coupons and can't find the right one in her purse somewhere or in his wallet somewhere. Now we've got a couple of choices. We can start to look at the inquirer and hope nobody is watching us look at it. And don't laugh because you've done it, I know. I've done that as well. We can use that for time shifting. Just take a breath, focus, and get inside of ourselves. And one day I was coming home from a burial and I, wasn't, I didn't have time to go to the funeral luncheon. I had a meeting I had to get back to in the parish. So I was going to go through the drive-thru at McDonald's. I went through the drive-thru window, placed my order, gave them my money. They said, go park in spot number one. It'll be out in five minutes. I looked at the sign. This is McDonald's. It's supposed to be in my hand right then. I paid so I couldn't drive off. So I went into that spot. And I looked out the window, and there was a beautiful wooded area. So I opened my sunroof and just stared out at the beauty. Gave myself a little time-shifting quiet time. Didn't turn the radio on, didn't check my cell phone, just a good time to be quiet. Sometimes, you know, we're put on hold for 10 or 15 minutes and we're hearing this lousy music in the background. That's a good time to set the phone down until a voice comes on. And sometimes it, it, we don't realize how trapped we are. I was in my office in the rectory one day and I was on the phone uh, and somebody said, uh, I need to make an appointment with you. I said, let me find my cell phone. That's where my calendar is. And I'm looking all over for my cell phone. That's the phone I'm on. <laughs> ah, I wasn't on the parish line. It happens sometimes. It, it takes hold of us. It really and truly does. How many times, moms, are you waiting in line with your SUV to pick up the kids from school. It's going to take five or ten minutes. Good time to time shift. Turn off the phone, turn off the radio, take a deep breath. The kids will come out when they come out. It's a good time to do that. Um, sitting in a doctor's office. There is no doctor's office I've ever been in that has a magazine that's more than two years out of date. And who wants to read that? Quiet time. Good time to do it. Um, 
one of the most profound times for me was I was, uh, it was kind of one of those medical things where you feel like you're, you're being thrown down a, a wild and crazy hole. Uh, I had some tests, my physical had gone perfectly until some of the numbers popped up and they said, whoops, and you need to have a test, and I had the test, and all of a sudden, boom, cancer, okay, we're gonna deal with that. Well, maybe a stress test, because you're getting old before we have the cancer surgery. Okay, stress test says, hmm, some issues with the heart. We're gonna do uh, some heart surgery. Well, I'm here on the table now after the angiogram, why don't you do it now, ha, ha, ha. They didn't laugh, we're gonna do it tomorrow. I wasn't laughing when they said that. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there in a wheelchair, in the hospital, say, I'm going to have open heart surgery tomorrow, and that's not even dealing with the cancer yet. What just happened to me? And all of a sudden, an attendant comes, and he takes me down to a uh, big room that was all shut down. He turned on all the lights, and all these motors went on, and he said I was going to have some kind of scan. I had no idea what it was talking about. And he took the scan, he said, the doctor called me and she wants to take it now before your surgery tomorrow. I'm thinking, oh God, how bad can things get? And then he took it and he turned off the lights and put me in the hallway and he said, the doctor will be here soon. And I don't know what soon meant, but it seemed like about 40 hours of just sitting in that chair and I heard her, heard her footsteps. And she came, the big grin on her face, she said, you've been through a lot. I just needed to give you some positive news. The bone scan said the cancer hasn't spread to the bones. One less thing we have to worry about. A little bit of relief. But I tried to use those moments to get my act together. It isn't always easy to do, but it was the quietest place I could possibly be at that time. Um, we've got to find and make up the time. Now, it's not making, I shouldn't say make up the time. We've got to use the time when we find it, when it comes to us. And they do come to us. Think about it now. When you have a few minutes, you know, come to church early, you can say a prayer, you sit in the car for a few minutes before you go into the shopping mall. There are times that you can make some quiet time for yourself. We need to do that so we'll be available to hear when God is calling us. That's the first point. The second point is, not only do we need to turn down the volume, we have to make sure we're turned on to the right station. We really and truly do. When I was teaching at Quigley South, my office was right in the main hallway for a number of years, and I would keep the door unlocked when I went to teach. And every once in a while, the students would come in and play a prank on me. Now those were the old days with the old rotary dial phone systems, the heavy phones. And I'm in my office, and I said, I got a few minutes, I'm gonna call my mom and see how she's doing. So I dial my mom's number and I say, hi mom, how are you? Pause. You think you're funny? Mom, what's wrong? You're not gonna get away with this. Mom, what's the matter? Go to hell. My Italian mother just told me to go to hell. Crashes the phone down. I pick up the phone, dial it again. Mom, are you okay? You again? Click. I swivel around on my chair. Remember those big receivers? 
You can unscrew the bottom, take out the speaking part. The students had tied that to the drapery in my office. My mom thought, my mom thought she was getting a crank call. So I put it back together, called her a third time, mom, 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 I just got two crank calls. I'm really upset, I said, shame on them. I didn't want her to admit it was me. We weren't connecting. We gotta be on the right station, on the right level in order to hear God's call. You know, you don't turn on the news if you wanna listen to oldie stations. You don't turn on country's western stations you want to hear Frank Sinatra. If you've got on your car things like uh, Sirius FM, it's great. You can pick exactly the kind of music you want to hear. You get to pick those things. You won't pick a sports station for a recipe to, to roast duck. That makes no sense at all. So if we want to hear God, we got to make sure we're tuned in the right way to do that. Uh, one sure sign from heaven that I was born to be a celibate was I'm a terrible channel surfer on the TV. No wife could put up with me. And I remember one night, I'm just channel surfing, and I fell asleep with my finger on the channel button. And I woke up, and last thing I remembered seeing, it was back a few years, Jay Leno's show, Tonight Show, and now I'm hearing somebody speaking in Spanish. Jay Leno must have a Spanish guest, I thought, and fell back asleep. And then I woke up a little bit later, and somebody else was speaking Spanish, and then I realized my finger was on the button, the channels were circling around. I wasn't on the right station, that's for sure. Uh, we've got to do that. We're not going to hear God unless we are. And what are some of the wrong stations that we, we turn on sometimes? Well, we're not going to hear God by spending money. How often do we, when things aren't going well, start to max out the credit cards? A lot of people do that when they're depressed. We're not going to hear God when we stop at a bar after work for a couple hours. That's not going to help. We're not going to hear God at the bottom of a bottle of pills or in an empty pie tin, or looking at pornography on the internet, gossiping with other mean-spirited people, any place like that. We're not going to find what we need doing that. We're not going to hear what we need. And also, we can't wait for the big miracle to occur. God works in lots of small ways. The beautiful reading where Elijah is looking for God doesn't hear God in the thunder and the lightning, but in the small whisper. That's where God's voice comes to Elijah. And that's important. A few years back, my two brothers and their wives and I took a trip to Italy, kind of a bucket list kind of trip. One of the things we did was we rented a villa in Tuscany and took some cooking classes. And it took us a while to find the villa uh, we had rented the van in um, Venice, and we're driving through Tuscany with our directions. And when you, when you go with your family, you revert back to your childhood roles. I was the youngest, so they didn't let me sign up on the license for the van. The van had stick shift. They didn't drive stick shift. I did, but I couldn't do that. So 
I got to be the navigator as they chugged along. And I remember at one point they have all those turnarounds, and the signs in Italy are not big signs, they're little signs. So my brother is yelling at me, the driver, saying, look for the sign that says Siena, and tell me which of the turnoffs to take. And I look, and it only in Italy, sign, Siena, sign, Siena, sign, Siena, sign, Siena. I said, take your pick, now he's yelling. So we, we finally get to the villa. We stopped at a little uh, grocery store we saw along the way and got some fresh tomatoes and cheese and fresh loaf of bread. We're gonna have kind of a nice light Italian dinner. We get to the villa and it's like everything you could possibly imagine in Tuscany. Rows of hills behind other hills. It was in the fall. It was literally the week before they were gonna pick all the grapes so you could smell the grapes on the vines. The vines had turned golden. The trees were golden. The sky was golden. The grapes were dark green. It was just a beautiful scene looking at all this. And I'm looking at this, and the two wives are in the kitchen trying to set up some food. My one brother is cursing because he can't get his camera to work. My other brother is cursing because he can't get a phone reception to call business back in Chicago from this villa in Tuscany. Surprise. And I looked and the sun was starting to set behind the furthest hill. And the sky was starting to glow golden. And my sister-in-laws had found a tape player and they put on the three tenors, which fit, and they were singing Nessun Dorma, which ends with vincere, vincere, vincere. We will win, we will win, we will win. That's in my will to be played as I'm wheeled out of church. I want that played. And uh, I said, everybody, stop what you're doing. Come out here and look at this scene. And so my sister-in-laws came out, and my one brother grabbed his wife's hand, and my other brother grabbed his wife's hand, and I grabbed my other hand. <laughs> and we watched the sun go behind the farthest hill. It got perfectly still, not a bird, not a sound. And the, the, it turned into this absolutely golden glow. And the tenors are singing that line, vincere, vincere, vincere. And my sister-in-law, the ditzy one, she looked up and she said very simply, this is how it must feel when we die. What a beautiful insight, what a beautiful image. All of a sudden, God was speaking to us right there. We were hearing God, and that's what she brought out of it. <coughs> those moments do happen in life, those Hollywood kind of moments. When St. Gertrude's Parish celebrated its centennial, we rededicated the church, the bishop was there. And one of the things I said to do uh, we're going to incense the four walls of the church, north, south, east, west. Beautiful, beautiful traditional stained glass windows, just absolutely stunning colors. And I went to do the south wall, and that's where the sun comes in on an angle at that time of year. It's been a cloudy day, and just as I got there with the incense, and our secret is we use Greek Orthodox incense. It's much better than Roman Catholic incense. It billows beautifully. And so the incense is 
in a cloud of smoke, the sun comes out, the light comes through the stained glass, and now the smoke of the incense picks up all the colors of the stained glass. Again, one of those incredible moments. And after Mass, people said, how did you do that? <laughs> Had it planned all along, folks, I really did. One of those moments. There are those moments out there. Those absolutely stunning ones, a little more rare, but they're often quite beautiful little moments in our lives where we can hear God, see God there. And then how do we know, because of that, we're tuned into God? Well, you know, when you're not tuned in right on a radio station, there's a lot of static. When we start to tune in, the static, the noise stops. What do I mean by static and noise? The pain lessens. The hurt doesn't hurt as much. The depression lightens up a little bit. The anxiety becomes a little more peaceful. The loneliness disappears a little bit. The darkness, all of this stops for just a brief moment. Really, really important. When I retired from St. Josephat Parish, we had a nice retirement liturgy, but there were two or three weeks left before July 1. And the last weekend of June, we had our outdoor Summerfest festival, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. And everybody came up to me and said, well, how does it feel retiring? I said, I'll let you know when I start, I'm still working. And I was gonna leave the parish that following Thursday. And the president of the, of the parish council came in and he says to me, I need to talk to you. I said, what about what? I got something I need to talk to you about. Can I talk to you on Thursday? I said, well, you know, Thursday I'm kind of trying to get out of here. So I really need to talk to you. I said, well, let's make it early because I want to get out of here. He said, how about seven o'clock in the evening? <laughs> I said, oh, well, if that's the only time, okay. Because what I told people is, I won't know how I feel I'm going to leave until I ride off into the sunset. Okay. So 7 o'clock he comes in, and all I have left are literally two shopping bags to put in my car, and I'm out of there. He comes in and he says, uh, come with me. I said, where are we going? He said, just come with me. And I go out into the park behind the church that we had built about a dozen years before that, a real nice park with a fountain. And there are about 250 prisoners. They didn't want me to go riding off into the sunset, feeling all alone. And so there was one guy up in the choir loft. The bells had never rung. They were in such bad shape. And he had a sledgehammer pounding on one of the bells. He said, if it doesn't crash down through the floor, we'll make it through this departure. And they had a big care package for me with homemade cookies and candies. And they all waved as I got in my car smiling and crying at the same time, driving off literally into the sunset. Um, great, great moments uh, that, that can happen. The darkness went away. I knew it was going to be sad leaving, um, but they made, it made a difference. Thirdly, after we you know, turn down the noise and get rid of the static and all of that, and we have to know for sure it is God who's calling us. Like I said, I grew up on the north side of the city. We played in the alleys. 
We never used the front door of the house. It was always the back doors. We never played on the front lawns. It was the crisscrossing of alleys, kick the can, freeze tag, fast pitching against a garage wall. We lived in the alleys. We'd, we'd uh, wave down the milk trucks and ask them to give us a chunk of ice to suck on and things like that. Uh, uh, that was our life. And it was a, such an eclectic neighborhood. My best friends were Jewish and Russian and Polish and Methodist. It was a real mix of a crowd. We were the only Italians we knew in the neighborhood. And there was one guy, his name was Gregory. His dad was Russian. And uh, his dad had been a doctor, but never got his license in America. He was a professional restorer of oil paintings, cleaning paintings, and a really fine classical artist himself. And they lived like artists, very poorly. They owned the most dilapidated three-flat apartment building in the neighborhood. They lived in the middle apartment. The top floor was a studio because they had a skylight. And the first floor they rented out to budding artists as well. And they were pretty strict with their son, Gregory. Uh, they truly were. And um, so we would play. And Gregory had to come in at a certain time every day to practice the piano for an hour. And if he was late, he was punished. And it was hard to be on time because none of us had watches in those days. He had to just guess that it was time to go in. Now, if for some reason he ran, was running late, his mother would go out on the second porch, second floor porch, and a sing-songy voice call him in, Gregory! And Gregory would go running in, and he maybe got grounded for an extra hour because she had to call him in. If he didn't hear her voice, the brother would come out. The older brother we never saw, except when he came out to call for his brother. And he didn't want to be interrupted. He spent 10 hours a day practicing the violin. And he'd come out on the first floor porch and shout, Gregory, expletive. And Gregory would run in, and we knew we wouldn't see him probably for a few hours. Now, it was an interesting family, before I talk about Gregory's father, because the father couldn't afford models, so he painted his wife. And we loved to go to Gregory's house for two reasons. Because Gregory's mother's picture was over the fireplace in the living room, and classical painting, women didn't have clothes on. And it was the only friend we knew we could see a picture of our friend's mother right up there on natural. But the... If he still didn't show up, the dad would come out on the third floor, barrel-chested, graying hairs on his chest. He had the artist's beret on, a goatee. He looked like the artist. And he would shout out, G'day, hey, And he shouted it again, and a third time, G'day, hey, goody. And Gregory knew he was in trouble then. He would just walk back in the house. We wouldn't see him the rest of the day. So part of our fun was to move the plane and the alleys a few blocks away so he couldn't hear his mother and brother. Kids are cruel. But we were even crueler. Found out that I could imitate his father's voice perfectly. So we were playing kick the can a couple blocks away, and I disappeared to hide. And I went under the porch of their house and did my best, G'day, hey, giddy. And Gregory heard it, and oh man, he was upset. And he, 
and I ran off so he didn't see me. He went into the house, and five minutes later he came out. He still had another half hour to play. He had no idea, and he got mad at us laughing. So he picked up a rock and he threw it at us, and we ducked. But his dad's Chrysler didn't duck, and it went through the front window. So we all ran home, and my safe place was on my bed in my bedroom, and I could hear in the distance, Gregory, and it wasn't me. We didn't see him for a month, the poor guy. We got to make sure it's God calling us. We're not being fooled. There are a lot of other things in life that call us that are not of and from God. Riches, that's not God calling us. Rewards, possessions, jobs, offers, other relationships, revenge, all these things, that's not God calling us. And there's some Christians that will tell you God rewards us in this life is a sign that we are saved and we are, no, it doesn't work that way. Sure doesn't work that way. If if our searching doesn't bring us real peace, it's not of God. It's not God calling us. And sometimes we hear only what we want to hear and we fool ourselves into thinking that it is God calling us. I never knew what to buy my brothers and their families for Christmas And one year I found the greatest invention. Got it, I think, at Brookstone or at the Sharper Image, one of those stores. It was a talking scale with memory. So you get on the scale, and with your big toe, you pressed button number one if that was you. And you got on the scale, and the voice would say, you weigh 142 pounds. You have lost two pounds. Have a good day. They hated the gift for a couple of reasons. They both had cats. So the cat would walk on the scale, and then get on it the next day is, you weigh 182 pounds, you've gained 170 pounds. <laughs> and neighbors would come in, friends use the bathroom, and you know, they kind of look at the scale and get on it, and they'd start to talk to them and scare them. So as restitution, they bought me a scale for the following year. And I was on one of my many diets at the time, And the diet seemed to be working. My diet was to walk. And I remember I walked one block and got on the scale, and the weight didn't go up. Well, it may not have gone down, but it didn't go up. So I ate a little bit more, and the next day got on the scale, and it stayed the same. And a month later, I was eating like a horse, walking about five blocks, and it was working. At least I wasn't gaining any weight. Then I realized there might be something wrong here. So I grabbed the cat, which weighed about 15 pounds, took my weight before I grabbed the cat, grabbed the cat, and the weight stayed exactly the same. The scale was broken. You weigh whatever the weight was, have a good day. So I took the scale, and I threw it in the garbage. And the last thing I heard was, have a good day. Come on, I should have known better, and I didn't. But it told me exactly what I wanted to hear. When we're listening to God, we very seldom get exactly what we want to hear. Um, There I was, praying after my tests that I didn't have cancer. 
And I would sit in the backyard of St. Gertrude's Rectory, beautiful backyard, and I would pray my head off. And I was praying, and I would notice things in the yard. There was a little plant that was almost totally dead, a tea rose. You know, somebody must have brought it in to put by one of the statues in church, and it started to die, and they put it outside, and there were no flowers on it. The leaves were getting kind of brown. And uh, I just happened to notice it. And a few days later, out of the clear blue, there are two little yellow tea roses. My mother's favorite color rose, yellow rose. Miracle, sign from God. God is telling me I'm gonna be okay. And I get the report, you got cancer, you also need heart surgery. I got angry at God. Should have been angry at myself. We can't tell God what the signs that God gives us should mean. Um, and it took me a while, years, to realize what had happened. It really was a sign from God. Two roses, cancer and heart. What happened? Had the, uh, the heart surgery first, uh, and I never would have had the heart surgery because I had no indications of any heart issues. If I didn't have the cancer, they wouldn't have done the test to find the heart problems. The cardiologist said I would have just dropped dead. And I said, what, 10 years from now? He said, no, in about a month. That's why we're doing this right away. So I can say, yeah, cancer saved my life. As simple as that, going on nine years now. There was a miracle there, but not what I was wanting to hear. We do that all too often. We have to figure out what God wants of us so we can hear how God wants us to deal with that. We have to actively search out God calling us, I think. Um, that's really important. We can't just sit back passively and ask for it or see it would, if it would happen. Um, very, very important. So what are ways that God calls us? We need to know what those ways are. Well, God calls us in the sacraments. That's really an important part of our tradition. Because sacraments, all of which are reflected in some way in the Eucharist, we're reminded of the sacraments, the sacraments of initiation and the penitential right at the beginning, of course, the Eucharist, the sacrament itself. Um, we, how many times we ask to be forgiven for our sins, reconciliation, our role in the liturgies, uh, ordination, marriage, all the sacraments of, of, of calling, things like that. It's all there in the petitions we pray for the sick. In the Mass, God calls us because it leads us to action. When we're baptized, we're called to fight against the evil in our world. That's an important part of the of that sacrament of initiation. In the Eucharist, we are called to share the presence of Jesus with others, so important. In marriage, we're called to share the love that we have one with each other, really, really important for that. You know, um, we, uh, we're called to bring, be peacemakers, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Reconciliation, we return to the Lord in the liturgy. We return to the Lord whenever we say we're sorry. In the anointings, we are healed. So many things, and we bring that healing to others. They're not just passive things that happens to us. God gives us these signs as gifts to share with others. 
So what tools do God, does God use to call us with? Well, I talked about all the instant communication that takes away God's voice, but God is there for us. You know, some of the tools that God has given us are very valuable. How did we live without cell phones? Seriously. We can stay in touch with a babysitter in ways we couldn't before, with an elderly parent. Uh, we could do that. Um, when Tina's is going to a party, we can stay in touch with them. If it's a snowy day, we're comforted by the fact we have the cell phone with us in the car. Um, Super Bowl Sunday on Willow Road, I hit the world's biggest pothole and uh, made it onto the expressway before every light went on on my dashboard possible. Pulled off the road, called AAA, didn't do much good. Half hour wait before they would answer the call. Thank God for IDOT that came. But as long as I had my cell phone, I felt safe. If I didn't have that, it would have been a lousy, lousy, worse lousy evening. So it's, it's very, very important. Some of the things we have are, are, really, are really good. When my mom retired and moved into a beautiful senior complex of her own choosing, um, we were still worried about her falling, so we got her one of those lifelines, because even though the units have cords, what if she falls somewhere not near the cord? And so uh, my mom had a great 93 years, one difficult month at the end. She was really blessed. And um, she had her lifeline. And one of my nieces wanted uh, my mom's sewing basket. My mom crocheted beautiful Afghans. Uh, they were so beautiful, Marshall Fields wanted to hire her to make Afghans to sell on consignment, and she wouldn't do it. And in fact, my mom uh, every year would make one for our silent auction and tell me they're too heavy and too hot to make. It's my last one, and she'd make one every year. So every year we auctioned off uh, Father Grassi's mother's annual last Afghan. <laughs> and I had an older cousin who loved my mother and said, make sure I'm the highest bidder. I want him no matter what. So I tell my good friends in the parish, bid, keep bidding, keep bidding. Don't worry about it, keep bidding. So we, we got a good deal for my mom. And I saw her one day and she was making small little blankets, white blankets. I said, Mom, all, the, all your, your great-grandchildren are here. Well, there might be more after I'm gone, baptismal blanket, beautiful ones. I said, well, listen, if that's your attitude, I want one more. I would like you to crochet me a white blanket. And she crocheted me this beautiful, beautiful white blanket. If there was one bad stitch, she would redo the whole thing to that stitch. And she gave it to me, and the first thing I did was I put it away. Put it away safely. And at her funeral mass, that became the pall that we put over the coffin. That was that symbol for me. And I have it in my apartment. If I'm having a bad day, I just kind of wrap myself in it. There's the presence of the Lord there. But in any case, my niece got my mom's sewing stuff, and you saw the last afghan my mom was working on. Perfect stitches at the bottom, and then they got looser and looser and looser. She got more and more ill. It was kind of sad to see. So fast forward about a week later, mom has been buried. My brother gets a phone call saying, this is, this is the life, life alert or whatever it is. Your mother is having an emergency. My brother paused and said, uh, my mother is deceased. 
Well, my niece was getting all the stuff out in Virginia. She pressed the button. Somehow the, the life thing got in there. That was a little scary for the family. But we've got to use what God gives us in life, is guess what I'm saying. I'm not saying we've got to go back to living in the forest or on the mountaintops. We see those shows on t- TV, living off the grid. Uh, I don't think that's for most of us, uh, but we've got to be able to do that. So let's look at finding God's call. Where are some of the places we find that call? We find that call in each other. In each other, we share the gift of God's grace. Through the eyes of faith, there's no such thing as a coincidence. Things happen for a reason. And let's try to find God's presence there. We find that presence then we can also realize that God is calling us to do something. He doesn't just call us, doesn't want us to just hear his voice and not act on it. He wants us. Some of the ways God uses to call us, really, really important. Um, Sometimes strangers call us. It just happens. Um, There are times that that happens. And sometimes it's a combination Strangers calling us or people we don't recognize and coincidences. I was going to a wake and I was debating, do I have time to make it to this wake? It's halfway around the city. It's, it's Friday evening rush hour. And I said, I got to get there for this family. And I get to the funeral home and I get there and there's like two people there from the family. So I'm muttering, I said, I just wasted half a day for this, blah, 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 blah. And I start, I said a prayer, start walking out to my car, and at the other parlor in the funeral home, this person steps out and says, Father Grassi, I knew you'd be here. Who's this? I look and I see the name on the, on the sign. It's one of my former students whose mother died. I didn't know that. I came for that wake. This guy was certain that I would be there for his mother's wake. Oh yeah, I wouldn't miss this for anything in the world. I'm so sorry for your family. God calls us that way sometimes. Uh, Really, really, really does. And God calls us with very special people sometimes. So there I am in, in rehab, feeling very, very sorry for myself. And there's a woman there, and I don't know what was her problem, but she had two stump, stumps instead of legs and only one hand and just part of an arm. And she was there in physical therapy and she was an absolute delight. She was filled with joy, filled with wisdom, filled with laughter. She was fully alive and I'm sitting there like a lump. Boy, God was sending me a message right then. Really, really important. Sometimes the word of God calls us. So there I am at St. Joseph Ott Parish, and I can remember I was going to preach about how we have to love everyone, no matter if they don't seem really lovable at all. And I'm getting, walking to the back of the church to get in the procession, and I see a lady there who is infamous. She would come in with her shopping bags and steal anything that was not taped or screwed down. 
And we had created uh, a little memento stand. It was November to write down the names of the deceased. And we had some candles there and some flowers. And all of that was in her bags. She was ready to take all these things. So I go running down the hour, put that stuff back, get out of this church. And everybody now is looking at me. <laughs> How am I gonna get up there and preach? Yeah, I love her dearly. You know, it wasn't gonna work. So I had to reverse it. I said, you just saw what not to do. That stuff wasn't that valuable. And even if I, I could have taken it back from her in a way that was not as disrespectful as I was to her. Uh, we do do that sometimes. Um, our loved ones, sometimes, they mirror God's love for us. And we can learn from them. One Christmas Eve, little background, our family grocery store was at the corner of Clark, Grace, and Racine, two blocks from Wrigley Field. Uh, it was the first self-service grocery store on the north side of the city. It opened in 1947, the year I was born. It was kind of like my, my twin. Uh, and it nearly went belly up because people didn't know how to use shopping carts. They'd go into the small corner store, I want a can of peas, I want a gallon of milk, and it was given to them. They had to walk around and make choices and everything. It wasn't, it wasn't going very well initially. Uh, but it was Christmas Eve. Obviously, the store improved over the years. And we're getting ready to close up shop uh, so that we could attend, uh, you know, have our fish dinner and attend midnight mass for Christmas and all of that as a family. And a lady came to the door of the, the store and knocked on it. And my dad had already turned the lock. And my dad let her in with her two children. He said, Mr. Grassi, I'm sorry it was so late, but I finally got paid doing some housework. And I've got $20 and I don't have anything on the table for me and my two children. So I watched my dad, and he took a cart, and he went up and down each aisle, just filling it with things. And he went back and he said, I'm gonna give you this frozen turkey, you won't have it ready for tomorrow, it won't defrost, but save it for later, and then he threw a canned ham in as well. And I'm thinking, they're going, he's got at least $100 worth of stuff in the cart, what is he doing? And then they went, you know, into produce, and he filled the cart. And then there was a toy section in the store, and there was this precursor to G.I. Joe, a kind of a doll that you put the helmet and everything on in a neat box. And I had made copious hints that that's what I wanted for Christmas as an 11-year-old. And the little son saw and said, wow. And Dad took it down and put it in his cart. And I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> And then he brought her up to the register. Now I'm watching all this, fascinated. And he started ringing things up. And he rang one cent for the can of peas, and two cents for the ham, and five cents for the turkey. And by the time he rang everything up, she gave him the $20 bill, and the bill was $4.95, and he gave her the rest in change, and sent her on her way with her children. And I looked at my dad, like I said in my homily earlier, not a man of many words. And I just looked at him, and he looked at me, and he said, Merry Christmas, got home. And the next day, and I'll talk about Christmas Day uh, later on in one of my talks, not tonight, um, there was G.I. Joe in another box for me. He made sure one was there for me as well. 
Sometimes the people we're closest to can help us to hear God in such beautiful ways. God calls us in our own weaknesses sometimes. Yes, in our own weaknesses. Um, it, it's uh, very, very important that we reel that. We realize that. Um, when I had those two surgeries back to back, the heart surgery first and then the cancer surgery, uh, the Da Vinci machine screwed up on the cancer surgery and nicked a blood vessel. So a month and a half after heart surgery, I was on the table eight and a half hours and got about 10 or 12 units of blood. And uh, when I woke up with all the tubes in me, I said, what's wrong? And they didn't want to tell me, uh, but I knew something wrong had happened. Fast forward about a year later, I go back to the old parish I was from, and they, I'm marrying the undertaker's oldest son. And the undertaker says, boy, you were really, really sick. I said, yeah. How did you know? He said, oops. He said, your, your brother called me and said, get ready for a pickup. <laughs> what? So I get home and I call my brother up. I said, hey, Phil, did you call Louis the Undertaker? Get ready for it. And he says to me on the phone, I don't remember. <laughs> I came pretty close to tanking it. I didn't know it was that bad. But boy, God was calling me. It took me a whole year to figure that all out. God does call us. God calls us not just in weak moments in our lives, but in our sinfulness, God calls us to be to do better. When I was in the seminary, uh, I got a call. I was working at the Audi home with the chaplain there and a few of my classmates, the temporary detention center, and um, a teenager from a parish in Waukegan, where we had been helping out as seminarians, uh, got arrested on some drug issues and charges and the courts were ready to lock him up. And uh, the family went to court with him and they pleaded their case. And, uh, and the, the judge said, well, if he gets somebody to help counsel him and the family, you parents, I'll release him. And they went to Catholic Charities about it. And Catholic Charities says at that moment in history, they didn't have anybody to help him. So they asked me to do it. The counselor from Catholic Charity says, you gotta do this, you're only a seminarian, but you're this kid's last hope. Well, I had never had been anybody's last hope before in my life, so I was excited about this. And so, great. There I am on 120 in the car, it snowed the night before, the kid in the front seat with me, the parents in the back seat, and I'm telling them, we're going to meet, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and nobody, you know, I hadn't listened to anything they had to say, because I was his last hope. His response was to open the car door at about 40 miles an hour and jump out. Thank God the snow banks were still soft. He only broke an ankle, didn't kill himself. And I felt bad, so I went to my spiritual director at the seminary, and he yelled at me. How dare you think you're anybody's last hope? And that's when I heard God's voice. And I didn't like what he was telling me, that I was a proud idiot. And I was lucky that worse didn't happen to this young person. And sometimes God's voice comes to us, and it really does hurt.
And this is another story about where I screwed up. Another family that we are working with through Children and Family Services. Uh, this family on the far, far south side, one of those numbered streets and lettered streets way southeast, uh, they became foster parents with this young kid. And uh, the rule was he had to meet with me every week, this youngster about 12 years old. So I would meet at his house. And at first, everything was going really, really well. And then he started having problems with his parents. And it became pretty clear to me that his parents were giving up on him. And I didn't have the skills and the know-how of what to do. Well, it was exams at the seminary, so I called him up and I said, I won't be there this week. I got exams. Well, the week after exams, we're off. So I won't be there. I'm off this week. And pretty soon, I just stopped going. The last time I had seen him, I had made a deal with him. I said, listen, next time I see you, if things are going better, I'll buy the pizza. If not, you're buying the pizza. And he said, sure. I soon forgot about it. Shame on me. Shame on me. I was at the Audi home, and I walked into the one of the units, and there he was. Parents had given up on him. They actually took another foster kid that looked just like him a couple years younger. It was so sad. But there he was, locked up again, because I had literally chosen to forget him. And I saw him, and I didn't want to talk to him. But God was saying, you better face this kid. And I went and I sat down across the table from him. And I thought, he has every right to yell at me, to curse me. And he said, I guess I owe you a pizza. That's how God works. That was God's voice working through this little one. And from that point on, I tried to learn the lesson. Don't give up on people because of your own needs and concerns. God talks to us in so many ways. Now what happens when we hear God's call? We are changed. I'll use the word that scripture used, transfigured. You know, we have the story of the transfiguration in the gospel. It's a great story. But it's not just Jesus who is transfigured. Peter, James, and John are transfigured as well. They're never going to be the same after they see what happens to Jesus. They see the, the, the prophets are there. He's the fulfillment of the prophets. He is the risen, the Messiah. He's not just the carpenter. He's not just the rabbi. They're never going to be the same again. It's going to take them a while. They're going to have to get through Jesus' Last Supper, his death, his resurrection. They're going to have to wait for the Spirit to come to them on the first Pentecost, but they're never going to be the same again. And what happens on that mountainside? Peter gets all excited. Typical St. Peter. Oh, it's really good to be here. Let's build a tent over here. Let's make a shrine over here. All right. And what happens? God's voice. It's translated much nicer in Scripture than I think really happened. Peter, shut up. This is sacred time. Trying to tell you something here. Listen. And they walk down the mountain, and they'll never be the same again. God changes us. He really does. We have to look when God talks to us to respond, and we'll talk more about that tomorrow. And that will change us as well. We need the quiet that God demands of Peter. But all that is more for tomorrow. And the transfiguration happens at every single liturgy we're at. The bread and wine 
becomes the body and blood of Jesus. The word on the page becomes the word, the presence of God. That's really what happens. And that's why the liturgy is so important, because that's where that voice will come to us in so many ways. Now, what happens when we're working hard and trying to be open to hear God's call and all we get is silence? That's okay. It happens to the best of us. It's called the dark night of the soul. It happens. It happened to Jesus in the garden. I want this to pass. I don't want this to happen. He was panicking. He didn't feel the presence of his loving father for a moment there. Mother Teresa, a living saint that we all saw walk the streets. We find out after she dies for the last 15 years of her life, she never heard God's voice. She never heard, she continued to do her work, but she didn't hear God's voice. She said, don't print my retreat notes. Don't print my journals. It'll scandalize people because I didn't hear God. So of course they print them and it becomes a bestseller. She struggled with that. Pope John XXIII, one of my heroes, in the, if you were a priest, you were still drafted into the Italian army. And so he was visiting somebody who had gotten wounded badly in a war and knew this young man probably wasn't going to live. And in his journal of the soul, he writes in his journal, he says, what if none of this is real? What if there is no God? What if this is all something we've made up? He was in a dark place at that time. It happens. But we got to know you can't have faith without doubt. We confuse faith with certainty. That's the scientific nature of who we are. Faith is not certainty. There's got to be some level of doubt. There can always be the possibility of what I believe so deeply, what I'm committed to just might not be what I think it is. And when we realize that and admit that, then we can open up a little bit even with the doubt. The doubt won't push everything out of the way. It's okay to question and to doubt God. It really and truly is. Um, we can run away from God's love if we don't doubt a little bit. Look at the beautiful story in Scripture of Job. Job has, God is not a nice person in the book of Job. He causes all those terrible things to happen to Job. He loses his family. He gets all these boils all over his body. His friends now laugh at him. He's lost all his possessions because God made a bet with the devil saying that Job is always going to be faithful. That's not a very nice God. And Job takes it until at one point Job shakes his fist in God and says, why have you done this to me? And the response from God is God gets angry back at Job. You didn't make the heavens and the earth. I did. I know what I'm doing. And that's when there becomes healing in their relationship. Job's life will never be the same. God replaces him with a new family, new possessions, new friends. But he'll always carry those scars with him. We carry the scars of our doubts with us. That's okay. That's part of what brings us to where we are in our faith. The saints didn't just passively accept everything. They fought with God. I love the quote from St. Teresa of Avila in her prayer. She said, Lord, if this is the way you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. 
That's St. Teresa of Avila and her talking to God. And she was a mystic. She was somebody really great. So, a little bit of advice. I haven't been trying to give advice. Beware of those easy answer Christians out there who claim to have a direct line to the mind of God. I go crazy when I hear them on TV. Oh, uh, God sent the hurricane to New Orleans to punish the people. Come on. What right do you have even to speak for God? You don't. Too many people think they have to have the, they know exactly what God wants. Beware of them. If they're bishops, if they're pastors, if they're neighbors, if they're giving a retreat in the parish, beware of them. There's no one blueprint for all of us to follow. That kind of fundamentalism is really, really dangerous. It's okay to wrestle with God, to hear God's call. Jacob does it in scripture. He wrestles with God. He's trying to get on the other side of the river. They call him wrestling with an angel. The angel is the presence of God. They wrestle and it changes Jacob forever. He walks with a limp after that because his hip bone pops out. And he gets a new name. His name becomes Israel. God's chosen people becomes his name. They take his name because he was willing to wrestle with God. Changed him forever. So we bring our doubts. We bring the, the silence to mass with us. We don't say, that's all the more reason to go, not to stay home. To bring it all and place it on the steps of the altar. This is what I'm struggling with, Lord. This is what I got to deal with. Be there for me. Please, Lord, be there for me. And then we'll try tomorrow to figure out how to understand why these things happen and the way we can better understand what God is asking for us. Tomorrow will be a little more practical than I've been this evening with you. You know, life is tough. There's not a person in here that hasn't struggled with something. And there are some of us right here right now that are struggling with things in our life right now. It could be anything. It could be health issues. It can be work issues. It can be relational issues. It can be just things that are weighing us down. And what I wanted to invite us to do as we draw ourselves to a little bit of a close here, I would invite you to either kneel or sit right now in a moment of silence. Please kneel or sit, whatever you're more comfortable with. And I'm gonna tell you what I'd like you to think about. And we'll listen to some music in a moment that'll help us do that. I want, you, I want this to be a positive. Think about a time when you really did hear God calling you, how good that felt. Maybe you can remember back at your first communion, the first time you took in the presence of Jesus. Maybe when you held your little child in your hand for the first time and saw those perfect little fingers and toes and ears and eyes. When you were sitting there thinking you were going to get bad news from the doctor and for the first time in years, it was good news from the doctor. Or you saw a smile on a grandchild's face or first kiss of the person you were to spend the rest of your life with. Or maybe it was looking at somebody and realizing what a good person they were. Um, and take in that feeling of hearing God's call.
My dear friends, I am convinced that God has called you tonight. And I only ask the question, where is that call going to take you? <coughs> Thank you for being open to hearing that call. I ask you to continue in your life to listen to God, try and understand what God is asking of you. And I ask us now to stand and pray. <coughs> Loving God, we came here tonight not really knowing what to expect. Hopefully, you have called me to something. You've called the people I came with to something. Give us the courage to hear it and give us the courage to find your presence in our lives. May we always feel the presence of your love that comes to us in so many ways. <coughs> may we never doubt that presence and if we do doubt it, may you always show us what it means to be your loving children. And tonight, my dear friends, I ask God to bless and keep you May you know that God's love is with you always. Continue to hear God's love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.